Hello, and welcome to this episode of Skip Meetings Podcast, the podcast for curious event professionals. My name is Andrea Doyle, and I am the senior editor of Skip Meetings. In this episode titled Giving a Voice to the Meeting Industry's LGBT Community, I have the pleasure of speaking with David Jeffries, CEO and Executive Director of the LGBT Meeting Professionals Association. He's the founder of this association, the only one dedicated to connecting, educating, and advancing LGBT professionals in the meetings industry. We talked about the motivation for creating this association that he founded six years ago. We talked about how the meeting industry is evolving as far as the LGBT community is concerned. We talk about how there are blue islands and seas of red and ways the meetings industry gets diversity right. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation and I invite you to check out other episodes of Skiff Meetings podcast with tips and insights from today's most influential event professionals. You can find all the episodes on our website or subscribe through your favorite podcast service. Now for a word from our sponsors, PHL Life Sciences, a division of the Philadelphia Convention and Visitors Bureau. Host your convention or trade show in Philadelphia, one of America's leading life sciences hubs. PHL Life Sciences, the first and only CVB division of its kind, will connect you to the professionals at the forefront of your industry and to a culture you can only find in Philadelphia. A city known for its rich history that's forging a bright future, Philadelphia challenges the expected and defies convention. A world of discovery is waiting. Visit phllife.com to learn more. Hello, my name is David Jeffries. I am the founder and executive director of the LGBT Meeting Professionals Association. Uh, we're now six years old. We are the first and only community-based association for the LGBT community within the meetings industry in the world. And um, as the founder, can you... Um, tell us a little bit about why you felt there was a need for such an, or an organization. Yeah, so um, doing some research for a retail client, a tourism client of mine, because my background was hospitality marketing, uh, and that brought me to um, uh, a, the development of a company called The Navigator, which was a guidebook company for the LGBT tourists. Um, and uh, that involved advertising and also content, you know, on things that might be more relevant or more attractive, maybe even historical about the destinations. I had 11 different cities. Uh, one of them was Atlantic City. And out of that grew a number of consulting opportunities for folks that said, look, it seems like you have a handle on um, the LGBT community, tourism. Um, you know, how, how can we make our property more uh, receptive, more friendly, more welcoming to the LGBT community. So I, I had what I, I guess I would call a gig, three-year gig with um, the Brigada uh, Hotel, a casino uh, resort spa in Atlantic City. And uh, they had recently refurbished some of their meeting space. And while we were building their microsite, you know, called Out at Brigada, 
uh, and we were building content, uh, you know, that uh, was relevant to uh, the LGBT community in their smaller theater, the music music box. Um, my my uh, direct uh, report, um, Joe Lupo, who was at that point senior vice president of uh, Regatta, um, said, Dave, these meeting rooms, isn't there some way that you could fill them with um, either LGBT meetings or groups or, or even just open up the door and make it welcome to LGBT planners and, uh, you know, and, and see if we can um, you know, do the same thing for the retail side that um, we're doing on the meeting side. And he said, and, and that, would, that would help me, you know, with the overall um, project. And I said, you know, Joe, of course, it sounds like an easy request. Let me go back to my office and I'll pick up the phone and I'll call a lot of the destinations that I was working with through the Navigator series because I had these 11 cities, you know, uh, New York, uh, Los Angeles, um, Chicago, uh, New Orleans, you know, surely Philadelphia. Surely there'd be contacts that uh, were part of the community that would tell me all about um, the meeting side of this, you know, that there had to be a group. After all, IGLTA exists for the tourism and retail side of it. So there must have been some type of organization. And um, I was told repeatedly that um, nothing like that existed, that uh, the current state of uh, the LGBT community within the construct of these conferences, such as a PCMA conference or a um, uh, a site conference or uh, an MPI, a WEC coming up um, in Mexico, you know, or uh, Connect meetings, uh, you know, ASAE, any one of those, um, NACE, even, you know, the catering executives. Um, they just kind of casually got together and met at a bar, and that was the end of that. There was no database, there was no list, there was no communications, there was no attempt to organize, there was nothing that um, would help bring that part of the meetings industry together on a regular basis where um, you could meet, uh, you could um, uh, expand and grow uh, your contacts, your networking, um, or you could just belong uh, because there were so many people that uh, were not part of that little smaller group that met on a regular basis that had become friendly, that went to some of these meetings on a regular basis. Um, in particular, I'm gonna cite that uh, most of the women were not organized that are part of our group and that continues to grow. That is um, definitely a, a, an aspect that I'm proud of. Um, just the other day, I was in Philadelphia for GMITE um, and Greater Meetings Industry Day, right? Uh, Global Meetings Industry Day. And uh, sitting right next to me, I handed my card to a young lady and uh, she looked at my name and my and the card and LGBT MPA on it. And she said, I didn't know there was an association for the community. And I said, really? I said, are you a planner? And she said, yeah. She said, I plan about five meetings a year. And I said, well, we're six years old. And I said, and it's absolutely free to all community members to join. Before the conference was over, she held up her phone and she said, I'm a member. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you continue to have stories like that, uh, that, you know, give you some some sense of need and and then also some sense of satisfaction that um, 
back six years ago when uh, the observation that I made, and I Googled the heck out of this just to be sure that there wasn't anything 15 layers deep, um, that um, we had so many associations, organizations, we had chambers of commerces that were organized in cities. We had marital rights, we had adoption rights. We were raising families on a regular basis. You know, we were winning rights in countries who never thought that, you know, uh, freedom for the LGBT community would ever be won. And um, yet they're in the meetings industry, a very powerful part of tourism and travel um, had nothing. Mm -hmm. And so here we are today. So um, that was six years, six years ago, six like, years, December. Yep. So we are just now going into our seventh year. Have you seen things improve for the community since then? I have seen things uh, improve for the community. And a, a couple of great examples of that is that the content um, attending an IMEX event about six years ago um, was uh, a session on diversity. No specific details about what angle or, um, you know, what the learning outcome might be about diversity, but just, you know, creating a more diverse event. So I went with my then chair, uh, Derek Johnson, um, and we attended the course. And it was um, the moderators were two uh, Caucasian women from Vancouver um, who talked about uh, food and the diversity of food and how its impact was important in the meetings industry. And when we walked out the door, I said, wow, is there ever a need for more education? I said, and certainly something from our point of view or our voice. I said, because here you are looking at diversity and um, it couldn't have been less diverse, um, you know, in terms of its presentation and in terms of its content. So um, we didn't quite get what we went for, but we ended up with far more in the end in that we had a better understanding. Um, you know, we just now did uh, at uh, Convening Leaders and Power Purpose, and we're going to be doing at Educon, um, a course that um, involves transplanters, because uh, I know there's a question somewhere in your mind about the trans community, and it is a growing community. and. And as it grows, you know, it grows into all aspects of life and career uh, and professions. And so, yes, um, there are there really are trans planners and they really do have different issues. And those issues are of interest to, to folks that, um, you know, want to be educated on concerns or realities that when they plan something, uh, it, it might be a consideration uh, in the back of their mind uh, that some of their attendees fit into the category. And maybe they're not planners, they're suppliers, but you know, nevertheless, um, that's an aspect of the community that's grown. So you know, I couldn't be more excited about giving a platform to uh, that part of the community, you know, as I think, you know, gay men have been represented for a long time. So, so increasing, you know, the, the, the number of women that join that, you know, are, um, uh, lesbian and, you know, and, and even, even, I mean, 23% of our membership, um, you know, identifies as bisexual. 
So, uh, you know, there's that aspect of um, the community that, you know, often gets overlooked and by them, by themselves, by their own admission, they're like, but, but we're by, and so we don't fit anywhere, you know, and it's like, well, you fit here, you know, because we're totally diverse and open and inclusive. So. And um, so you use the word inclusive. How important is diversity and inclusion when it comes to meetings and conferences? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I really think that that's paramount um, moving forward as we as we develop as, uh, you know, as humans. Right. And as, a, as countries move forward with rights and freedoms and things like that. And, you know, the questions of destinations and, and there's there's always a backwards. Right. I mean, you know, um, we did a, a just say gay uh, canvas bag um, at a connect event about a year ago. Uh, just for all of our Florida uh, destinations, you know, we, we call them Blue Islands in, in, in Seas of Red, um, and um, you know, and, and they're out there, and they're they're welcoming and they're accepting, and you know, and and they have a voice as well, and they don't they don't always get the recognition, and sometimes there's pressure, you know, to make uh, decisions. So I, you know, against them, you know. So I think that the um, you know the increase. Uh, knowledge of diversity and inclusion, you know, impacts on all of us in that, um, you know, we're greater uh, good of acceptance, uh, not not just within the LGBT community, because there's, you know, there's obviously this Pan-Asian community, that, you know, feels like they struggle a lot. You know, there's the black and brown folks, you know, really good friends with Jason Dunn and the National Coalition of Black Meeting Planners. You know, and, and he and I feel like we have similar missions. You know, we just have different audiences. So um, I think it covers all of that. We're just a part of um, include. What do you feel the industry gets right as far as this is concerned and what doesn't it get so right? Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I did a tiny little bit of thinking, I, you know, I'll admit to the audience that I did question was coming my way. <laughs> um, and uh, I think I think there are three things that um, really stand out uh, along my journey. You know, first off, I, I think what the industry gets right is that they they continue to put a spotlight on it and there's an increase in attention uh, and, and the more attention you bring to a situation, the more likely you are to address it. Um, you know, it's sometimes in the right way and sometimes in the wrong way. You know, I was watching the news this morning and I was reminded the fact that Florida wants to ban all materials between three and five years of age. It talks about trans or talks about anything that might be LGBT. So, and, you know, ironically, when I talk to people about when they maybe first thought that they wanted to change their gender, or they may have thought about when they uh, might have been attracted to the same sex as them, you know, it really does start right around three to five. I mean, you begin, humans begin to become aware of, um, not all, but but many of yes. them begin, but certainly by seven to 11, um, you, you have, whether you fully come to understand it, um, depending on your environment and your the role models that you've been exposed to, which are increasing all the time. Um, you know, certainly by the time I was seven, 
I thought, I I don't think I'm going to like girls. I don't know why, but I just, you know, I was attracted and, you know, so, um, and then confused because, uh, you know, back in 1962, you know, there really wasn't anything out there that said that, hey, if you feel this way, you're probably okay. You know, like Sesame Street, you know, didn't exist. So, um, but I think then, um, you know, the second thing is there's a deepening of the intention, um, you know, within the industry, stress, DEI, and, um, you know, and, and I think because of that intention, we're seeing, as, as with our course on transplanting, we're seeing education, you know, and that, that reaches out. And I think through education, we solve an awful lot of misunderstandings, misconceptions, and prejudices, you know, because they're usually founded on lack of knowledge. And I think that's pretty much a universal um, agreement. So, um, you know, on the wrong side is probably not enough. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the retaliation, like we see in, you know, to change laws, um, you know, because there's just a certain number of people that believe that um, exposing it to youth and things like that are, are, are not in the best interest. And everybody's entitled to an opinion. And, uh, you know, we have ours. Right. I mean, study after study proves that DEI benefits all. Why do you don't? Why do you feel more organizations don't realize this? Um, you know, there's an interesting stat out there that was done by let me look the Society for Human uh, Resource. Um, you know, I was in a recent roundtable with uh, Jason Dunn, Black Coalition meeting planners. You know, and he said, uh, you know, what's going on with I since George Floyd, and you know, because that was a pivotal moment. Um, and and, the, and there are facts out there. Um, and uh, the number of positions for DEI officers or uh, at even at the C-level um, in hospitality and regular corporations and manufacturing all across the board increased by 55%. Um, now in 2023, um, CBS, NBC, I think one of the... Uh, uh, major broadcast uh, TV stations uh, released a story that said that, uh, that the retention of those hired specifically for those roles have fallen off by 33%. So um, obviously uh, the, the, the beginning of our intentions were good and strong. Um, and, and I think the recognition of its importance became a part of that. Um, sustaining it, I think, is, is really the, the more serious question. You know, how, how do we go about uh, continuing to meet that commitment? And obviously some of its cost, um, you know, some of its structure. Um, you know, I like to tell the story of um, uh, one of our board members that entered uh, the board as Ron Rowley, who was uh, a pre-Olympic bicycler and uh, worked with the Nike Corporation. And um, he was for, we didn't have term limits at the time. So he was with us for a full two years and went right into lockdown with us. And when he came out of lockdown, he was Rene Rowley and he had transitioned. So um, and he was um, two degrees from the top of Nike, uh, you know, embraced. And Nike started a series of uh, educational courses that uh, you were permitted to take time off from your job without penalty and you could attend it was anything from learning how to cook Indian food 
to Sri Lankan food to the politics of, you know, uh, Russia and, uh, you know, Uganda, which has just recently, you know, increased by the death penalty, you know, homosexuality, um, you know, so, um, so, th- so their, their approach was educate, 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 and make it available uh, on as easy a basis as possible. And well, I'm sorry to have lost Ron, but uh, Ron spoke uh, in a number of these types of settings and podcasts uh, about what what Nike had done as a global corporation, because obviously they want to sell shoes to everybody in there. You know, they're located globally. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, his specific um, indication was that the top was committed um, to being as diverse and inclusive as possible. And that's really important to have a top, top down support versus yeah. bottom up. A- a- absolutely. If it doesn't flow from the top down, it loses its agenda. Yeah, there's no question about it. Are you ready to celebrate your successes in the world of meetings and events? The Skift Meetings Awards are back for 2024, recognizing the most innovative business events companies across 15 categories, and we want you to be a part of it. Winners will feature on Skift Meetings, sending a clear signal to events professionals around the world that these are partners they can rely on. The final deadline for submissions is June 11th. We encourage you to start your submission today to secure the best entry rates. For more information and to start your submission, head to live.skift.com. So then Nike is this huge company that gets it right. What do you think about this latest controversy with Budweiser? (laughs) Well, I've seen a lot of YouTube recently, um, you know, people blowing up cans of, uh, uh, you know, Bud Light and uh, Budweiser. And, uh, um, you know, I I think uh, one would want it to settle down. Um, I, I think that there's been some uh, elevated attention to the trans community in some some negative ways. Um, but I, I think if you look through the history of growth um, and acceptance of uniqueness, uh, you know, I know that there's a commercial running right now on uh, acceptance of, of, you know, the Jewish community, um, you know, it's 2.5% of uh our of the american population but it's uh subject to about 55 percent of anti-racism attacks so you know we're, we're we now see commercials um you know and there's the commercial about you know jesus knows all this too you know he you know he forgave everybody um that sinned against him so there's there's a couple of campaigns that are you know that are out you know specifically to try to um improve acceptance and decrease prejudice. So like the whole Budweiser controversy is around the transgender person who's on the can of Budweiser. And um, it got me to researching about acceptance in that community. And I found that an average of 60% of transgender and gender non conforming employees report experiencing aggressive behaviors like invasive gender questions being actively excluded by coworkers and misidentified could yeah. you elaborate on that well um i mean m- not being trans and not being you know able to speak 
directly from that voice. So then, you know, that would be interpolation. You know, I, I can say that, um, you know, being a cis gay white man, you know, uh, doesn't put me at the best advantage to understanding the journey of transitioning. You know, however, in my role as executive director, I have heard many, many, many stories and and I wouldn't want to make a claim without basis for it, but I would at least suggest that it's probably more than the average individual hears just because of my role being part of the LGBT community and being the executive director of this particular association. So even if it's slotted to just down into the meeting side of it, you know, you do get some spillover um, and people share their stories. I think the trans community has a lot of challenges. Um, I think it's very unique in its nature because um, it's not about attraction to your own sex. It's it's about the desire to change your own sex. It's, it's about transitioning. And, uh, and I think like anything else, they're beginning to grow and become a larger part of the population and they're rising up and becoming more visible. And I think that they'll go through all of the challenges like the LGBT community, the gay side of it, went through Stonewall 52 years ago now, I guess. Um, but I was in New York for that celebration, you know, and, um, you know, and, and most most of the people that were arrested were lesbian anyway, um, which is an interesting fact. You know, it was more about women being arrested than men being arrested. But I know that um, the male part of the LGBT community uh, took it under their wings to use it and start what we now know as pride parades. You know, that was the birth of the pride parade was Stonewall. So we've had pride parades for 50 years. Um, and um, so I, I think that the transgender community will evolve. Um, it, nothing is going to stop it. And I think that they'll go through very, um, you know, dings and bumps that occur. I think they're going through one right now. Um, you know, just as we're seeing some legislation in Florida about, you know, youth and exposure to information and so on, you know, and that, and that too, you know, will evolve and will move forward. And, you know, and I think that they'll, you know, they'll, they'll pull themselves up. And uh, it's a very, str very strong, I will say this, when you make a desire to change yourself physically from one sex to another, you are absolutely convicted as to who you want to be and where you want to go in the world. And I, with that that level of um, energy that it, it requires to go through a transitioning process and the number of phases associated with it is so complex. Um, and there's, there's so much psychological counseling and everything else that you have to do now in order to even get approvals for some of the medical procedures that, um, you know, I, I believe that that community um, will will take its role and uh, will move forward in a positive way. Right. And there are so many bright spots. Like on my last podcast, I had Ren um, from Emerald and Emerald yeah. is now including um, surgeries mm -hmm. to transition in its benefits package. Right. Well, if you want to be an HRC 100 company, you have to provide those um, same same insurance benefits, uh, not just to uh, same-sex spouses, but you also have to provide it to your, your trans uh, employees, right? And that and that covers surgeries as well. 
And where can our listeners get more information about the HRC 100 companies? You know, it's hrc.org. It's okay. um, it, it's really very simple. Yeah. Um, okay. and, and, and then you just, you go to their the CEI. They, they, uh, uh, weigh cities, destinations, and they evaluate companies. Wow. So it's the, uh, it's the hundred index and, and they produce a catalog and you can get it right online. And so you could look up any, any potential employer, any current employer or, or any company period, just, you know, and by the way, I think, I believe I'm saying this correctly. Um, Anheuser-Busch scores 100. Wow. And huh. probably part, part of the reason why there's backlash. I see. So um, another podcast um, featured Ken Halsinger from Freeman. And um, Freeman okay. just um, released a bunch of data. And it's showing that the average um, conference attendee is getting younger. And yes. I feel... Um, you know, as there there are more young people in the industry, this helps with DEI because they're usually more open minded and more evolved. So, you, um, are you? I just want to make sure I get clarity on where the source of that was. Didn't Harvard also do a report on that? Are you saying Freeman? Freeman well, Freeman's um, recent research showed the average age of an attendee went from fifty one to forty six. Yes. Okay, so, well then we agree on that uh, from whatever source that might that might be, and of course, you know, um, I mean, also um, documented is that um, from Gallup. Uh, so let's just identify the source there that uh, the Gen Z population uh, identifies as LGBT nineteen point seven percent, as opposed to millennials, which is eleven point two percent. So you have um, clearly you have more self-recognition of, of being part of the LGBT community um, you know, as we skew younger. So is that going to be beneficial for the meetings industry? Absolutely. As they grow into their roles and uh, mature into positions of greater power and influence, um, obviously they're going to bring with it their value systems. And that value system, you know, is more open and more embracing, more inclusive. So, yeah, I do. I think that's a real positive thing. Right. And in that same report, it showed how um, many different pronouns there are now. And it, you know, touched upon the importance of using the correct pronouns. Right. And we've always been in favor of that. And, you know, I mean, I have a quick answer on that. I, I mean, I think anytime you validate authentically, uh, you know, somebody who cares about how they identify, uh, then you're being more supportive and nothing beats being more supportive of the individual. Um, on my own Zoom, on our Zoom, you know, I'm he, I'm his, um, you know, you'd be she, her, hers, uh, you know, uh, Zoom or maybe not. Um, <laughs> you know, Maybe you've transitioned and I just don't know it yet. Uh, you haven't uh, told me that part about you. But um, the uh, use of pronouns, I, I think it's become more of a standard, you know, in, in the industry. And it was adopted fairly quickly because why would there be resistance? You know, you want and, to recognize. And a lot of times the um, respecting that is, highlighted in diversity training programs. How important do you find these type of programs? 
So and they them right. So so when Ron Rowley was um, transitioning to Renee Rowley during a period of time, um, he became for them, and then became she for hers. And um, you know, I go back to the fact that uh, Ron slash Renee, Renee slash Ron, uh, depending on what side of the transition you want, um, you know, spoke about Nike in a way that. Um, you know, its success um, in building a strong culture was really dedicated to the roots of the education um, and the variety of knowledge that you could pick up without penalty, you know, on, on your time, uh, just because you had interest in learning, learning different language, learning, learning about food, learning, just learning about um, sure, uh, you know, I mean, they had they ran the gamut of them through their HR department. So um, you could sign up for almost any aspect of um, the difference uh, in, in terms of, of you know, human existence um, you know, or identification. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely essential. It's our and, way out. I think it's our way out is education. And also by having all the proper pronouns say on a registration form, it makes people feel included and welcome. Because absolutely, I, sure, yeah, acceptance, yeah, number one. Mm -hmm. Because if the if how they identify isn't represented on that form, I think then that automatically doesn't make you feel welcome. Yes, and uh, you know, I'd like to say that we're. Um, those are those are issues like the HB two rule because we've had Charlotte uh, speak on, on a couple of our panels, uh, you know, and the story goes that um, you know their state enacted the rule because they enacted the opposite rule. They went to gender neutral bathrooms again, at, you know, Blue Island and Red Sea, um, and and they said no sooner had we passed a rule, uh, you know, in our city government that uh, we were not going to identify uh, restrooms as male or female anymore. We were going to, you know, just say, uh, you know, gender neutral or all gender. Um, the state decided to take action against uh, them. Uh, and um, so, and they took the fall for it because they actually lost quite a bit of uh, booked meetings business, which was, um, you know, just a very unfortunate misunderstanding of the history of all of that. We've given them a platform to be able to talk about that more uh, to our members, and, um, and and some of that information is available on our site, um, lgbtmpa.com. So uh, we have Dave Diversity, which is a link you can click on that, and that's twelve hours of education. Uh, you know, we'll talk about a lot of those things, uh, try to clarify and, and give a better perspective on uh, the origin of it and uh, you know and the politics of it. Yeah. Um, talking about Charlotte, do you agree with a meeting group that boycotts a city like that because of a law that's enacted that they don't agree with? So our policy is um, we are anti-bans uh, and boycotts. Um, last year at IMEX, we did a panel on bans and boycotts. Um, we are uh, refreshing uh, some parts of that for EdgeCon. Uh, so one of the questions that is going to be on there, uh, we'll go back to bans and boycotts. Um, as I said, I, I think our new strategy is, you know, islands of blue and seas of red. 
um, you know, which is, of course, a, a lot of what, um, you know, impacts on that. But Visit Dallas is a great uh, supporter of ours. Uh, they have um, uh, uh, a DEI officer, Cheryl, um, that uh, amazing job of um, right and wrong impressions. Uh, and again, through education, um, that, you know, Dallas is, um, is, is very welcoming and has a very strong LGBT uh, community, and they do an awful lot um, you know, to support all of that. And, and not just LGBT, because I, I don't want it. I know I am representing that. But, you know, it's diversity across the board. It really is. It's, it's everybody from everywhere. You know, I mean, uh, bigotry is just a really challenging reality that we, that'll happen when we, when we all get together and understand each other a little better. Differences are good. Differences are good. And like you said, it's earlier, it's all about education and understanding each other. How did you get involved in the meeting and events industry? I think I started that story a little ways back. So, you know, I run a marketing and advertising agency and uh, picked up an awful lot of local hotel uh, uh, clients. At, At that time, most hotels were responsible for their own marketing, weddings, um, their their banquet space, um, you know, their rooms. Now, of course, uh, as time has moved on and computers have automated everything, um, you know, the average general manager and marketing uh, head in, in, a, in a whether it's franchised or it's corporate owned, you know, all they have to do is go to a website and they can pull up templated ads and everything else. And so, um, so the need for you know a Philadelphia based advertising agency that had maybe 25 or 30 different hotel clients, you know, and, and, and put, you know, 15 ads in the not magazine mm-hmm. on a regular basis, you know, because they wanted that piece of the weddings business, you know, but that was the start for us. We did all of that. Um, and, and that led into um, producing the very first LGBT campaign for the city of Philadelphia called Get Your History Straight and Your Nightlife Gay. And that was the first time that a city put a million dollars into an LGBT campaign. Uh, we did a television spot um, and um, garnered um, fifty thousand to a hundred thousand dollars worth of public relation on um, Hollywood squares. And, um, we were, you know, and, and what we did was we took traditional images rooted in the history because. Philadelphia is the first city in the country, and it's all about history. It all started here. And uh, so we had Betsy Ross, and uh, we had an image of her uh, from um, Getty Images, you know, a painting of her sewing the American flag, and we just changed it into the gay flag. And so Betsy Ross was sewing it. So it was come to Philadelphia where freedom started, you know, and get your history straight and, and, and get your night like gay. You know, because the research said that, you know, people would go to a city to learn, but then at the end of the day, they wanted. Um, so um, so that that led uh, to the Navigator series where I started to do other cities and started to do advertising. It. I brought L.A. out of the closet. I brought New Orleans out of the closet. Um, so we had a lot of fun doing all of that. And then, of course, that gig led me to back to the Brigada, which then said, hey, you know, why don't you get 
involved in the meetings industry, which I knew nothing about. Um, <laughs> I'm still learning a lot, uh, but uh, it's been a fascinating six-year run, and I've enjoyed all the people that I've met uh, and all the patients that I've had the pleasure of, of collaborating with. And as you know, we don't compete, so uh, you know what we're what we're doing is we're weaving the LGBT community through through all of these uh, various uh, conferences and you know, that are based on profession or based on, you know, a specific type of role. Um, and, you know, we're, we're pulling it all together. What do you feel the future holds for the industry and all these associations you mentioned? I think my feeling is that the industry is continuing to grow, uh, that it continues to desire to want to embrace uh, diversity and inclusivity. You know, I think it's very funny. Um, you know, you have differences of opinions. You can be in, in one panel discussion and, and one um, association expert will say, well, I think that there's no diversity without inclusivity. And then you'll get um, the next one who'll say, no, 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 we disagree that there's really no inclusivity without diversity. So, um, but the fact that that's a health banter going back and forth, I think is very promising. I think can, but live events are going to continue to grow. Educon's going to be a thousand. Um, last year, I think it was 500 or so. Uh, I don't want to get that number wrong. If Sheriff was to see this, I apologize <laughs> if I don't have the math right. Um, but I know that it's gotten much bigger, uh, that they are, they're closing off um, uh, registration. Uh, they'll, they'll feel there'll be some abundance, um, which is a, a pleasant surprise for them. Uh, you know, MPI is expecting, I think, over 700 or so in, um, you know, in a remote destination, Cancun, you know, they're going to be down in Mexico. Um, you know, IMAX America just just blew records that were well over 10,000. And I know when I talked to Natasha, she said, if we do 7,500, 8,000, I think I'm going to be really happy. And then she said, Dave, you know what? The number's over 10,000. And I said, you're kidding. And we did uh, almost 300 plus um, at our own networking event, which made it the single largest event. So, you know, we're seeing growth. And then we're also seeing technology that's going to allow us to plug in for hybrid um, experiences. I mean, there is there's just a whole group of people that have said, this break that we had um, has given me the opportunity to re-examine. And, and, and I know we don't have to talk about that because there's so much discussion about the five, four day work week now. And, um, you know, I mean, I see the cities getting busier and, um, but, you know, I still run a marketing and advertising agency. And I was, uh, I was just in my client's office, which is a major insurance uh, brokerage in Conchahawken. Uh, employs about 140 people and there was maybe 25 or 30 oh, people wow. in the office. So there's still challenges getting everybody back to work. Um, you know, uh, recent uh, fact uh, for uh, Global Meetings Industry Day, uh, one of the speakers said that 90% of the people that go to a live event go to network. They mm -hmm. go to meet other people and connect. So we, our number one mission has been about connecting. Uh, educating and then professional development. Uh, we, the connecting part we got down a long time ago. 
Uh, we started these networking events and, uh, you know, they, they are a reason why people attend conferences now. They come to our event and they look forward to it and they tell us that when they leave and they tell us that when they arrive and they tell us that when they get their invitations and they're like, wow, you know, we were looking forward to that. We were wondering where, where the LGBT MPA networking event was going to be this year. Um, you know, because it's a, it's a little piece of, um, I get to go away. Uh, I get to meet all my friends. I get to immerse myself in like thinking, you know, and like-minded, um, you know, and that's it, the social aspect is really very, very, very important um, to augment the business aspect. Did you ever envision your group becoming what it is today? No. <laughs> okay. Um, I uh, had hopes. Uh, I thought, um, I mean, the U.S. Census says that there's um, about uh, 11,000 self-identified LGBT community-based um, folks within uh, the uh, meetings and events industry. Uh, you know, we have 2,400 of them as members. So clearly we, we've got a quarter. Uh, we don't have half yet. Thousand, you know, do I think that that's a reality? We're going to Frankfurt. Uh, we're going to bring our, our roadshow to Europe. I think that we'll see uh, an enormous lift in, in the EU members. Uh, there's nothing over there. As I said, there's nothing globally. Uh, I think that there, there's certainly been more progress. Uh, there's less resistance. There's less um, backlash, you know, on small levels, a uh, little mini battle. And I, I think that um, timing is good for the community to have a place where uh, somebody's willing to organize them, organize events, uh, and organize content education for them to um, not just participate in, but, you know, to, to sit and be a part of, you know, um, getting that intelligence. Mm -hmm. So, so we're, we're looking forward to um, uh, not, not the plane ride, um, but, um, but the actual experience. Um, and we'll have a network event. And if you're going to come, please let me know. And you're invited to our networking event, which okay. I think will be oversold in a heartbeat. I think, right. I think it's be to do in our first year. But I'm um, looking forward to this. Anything else you want our listeners to learn about you and the organization that I haven't brought up? No, but you want me to recommend somebody for your next podcast? I do. <laughs> so uh, when I started, uh, it was a very lonely uh, road. Nobody wanted another new association. Uh, a lot of people didn't think that the LGBT community needed anybody to help them get together, that we had a lot of rights, um, you know, that we to find each other, you know, we could find each other, that uh, gay bars were closing. Uh, so that would need a networking event, you know, where that was really just kind of a pop-up gay bar in some concept. Um, and that, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't see the, appreciation we wouldn't see the connectivity and the growth um you know so the first few years were tough a lot of doors were closed um you know i put some of my own money into it to get it up and running um and uh so there, there were times and uh, i had i had a gentleman that um, believed in me and believed in it and was my first chair and uh, that's jim clapes he's uh he is now the um conference director at mayor brown in uh uh, Washington, D.C., 
And uh, you can reach him at Jim Clapes, C-L-A-P-E-S, zero one at gmail.com. Um, and he's he's an uh, uh, articulate advocate. Uh, he just stepped down from uh, early uh, five years of working um, on my team um, and, and helping build positively a lot of the relationships and, and articulating really the need destinations, businesses to support the community on so many different levels, on mission levels, you know, on metric levels, um, you know, on uh, simple as good deed doers, you know, to be able to step up and say, you know, you know I'm proud and I'm out and, you know, uh, and, and so and identifying so many folks that were decision makers that um, have become members. Um, you know, because they were proud to be part of the community and uh, they just didn't know about us. Um, you know, going back to the, the young lady that was sitting next to me at the table when I handed her my card and I thought, I can't believe there's a person next to me that has never heard of us. Um, you know, because after six years, I think everybody knows about us, but um, we'll see when we get to Europe. I have a feeling we'll get a lot of that. So um, that's our that's our short term future. We'll be at IMEX. Uh, we'll be at Convening Leaders again next year, uh, where we, we rinse and repeat our entire cycle. Um, and I hope that we're Connect in uh, Minneapolis um, in August. So um, for all of your listeners that want to be a part, it's LGBTMPA.com, and you can just go right to the Join button. Um, we love allies. We love anybody that's part of the meetings industry. Um, you know, the don't have to identify it's an option there's no fee to join uh so it's um there's no reason to not become a part you get our weekly newsletter that keeps you informed and um you know uh, and of course then you get invited to all of our events if you're at any of those conferences you can you, you can step out of the closet into a safe environment and have a good time well this has been great always a pleasure to chat with you i really appreciate your time and I look forward to seeing you at, a, at our next event. And thank you for having me.